I would say family photography is almost always an interruption and it has to be created. Uh, if you wait for the moment to strike, then you have far fewer opportunities because especially the more figures you're dealing with and more members of the family. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, oh, heavens, today we are talking with Jessica Todd Harper. And if there is anybody doing portrait work that is just breathtakingly beautiful, it is Jessica. She has a new book out. It's called Here. It is a collection of portraits that I'm going to really be excited to talk about in a second. But this this is not new territory for her. Uh, Jessica, I mean, she's got a show at the National Portrait. Portrait Gallery, the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery right now, um, as well as the Rick Wester Fine Art Gallery, the uh, Claude Cahoon Center in France. Um, she's been at the National Portrait Gallery in London. She's been all over the place, the Prince Center in Philadelphia, the Portland Art Museum. This is work that is really, really outstanding. She's won the Photography Prize uh, in Paris. Uh, the uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the whole list here. It goes on. I could spend the entire hour talking about that. And... This is portrait work to my way of thinking that is that next level up. We're not talking about well-lit headshots here. We are talking about environmental portraits. We're talking about psychological portraits of, of beauty and compassion and love. And I'm really looking forward to this. Jessica, welcome to the podcast series. How are you doing this morning? Oh, thank you so much, Scott. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you're here, too, because this is work that is special. And I, I say that both personally, but a lot of other people agree with me, too. This is not a headshot. This is these these are portraits that you talk, you say, are grounded in a art history tradition. They've got a psychological uh, undercurrent. And yet they are very contemporary, very modern. And before we get into the book, the, the new book is called Here. Let, let's talk a little bit about background, because you've got a really cool story about your mom dragging you to art galleries when you were really young, sitting you down with a box of crayons and asking you to copy the masters. Tell me about that. Tell me about those early days with a crayon and paintings. Sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up in upstate New York and my mother was a big fan of the arts and often we had bad weather. And so she would take us to art museums and, and yes, when we were really little, we would draw with crayons. And then as the kids were older, we would progress into pencils or charcoal drawings <laughs> and um, pastels. And we would be plunked down on the floor and, and we would copy these great paintings. And um, some of the ones in particular that I have fond memories are, are the John Singer Sargent paintings at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. And at the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown, they have a fabulous impressionist collection. So I was, that's where I really fell in love with Renoir, Mary Cassatt, Monet, um, artists like that. How old were you at this time? Well, um, I think she really got into it once my sister was portable. So <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest. So I think, you know, we, 
probably when I, definitely by age 11, this was a regular thing we were doing. So I think maybe around nine or 10, she started, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I did a lot between age 11 and 14, you know, and then once high school comes about, you're, you're kind of more busy. Mm-hmm. Do you know why the impressionists, why those people, why Sargent and the rest of you, know, that they called to you versus any other style or any other artist? I think I've always been drawn to family narratives. Okay. I, I grew up in a family that loved to tell stories. And my, my grandmother in, in particular, I, my memories of, of, most of the time I spent with her were sedentary. We would be kind of curled up on her bed or on the couch, and she would tell stories of her past, of her parents, her grandparents. And my mother is a big storyteller. My grandfather is a big storyteller. And Mary Cassatt painted her family. Renoir did a lot of family portraits. Um, mm-hmm. Dunsinger Sargent was commissioned to do family portraits. And so I think that you know, I, I didn't think of it one way or the other, but I think I was just naturally drawn into wondering about these people's lives, wondering what the stories were that this, the picture was trying to convey. Um, that was just a natural entry point for me. Well, I mean, and you're hitting one of my favorite themes there, this this whole notion of narrative uh, in either painting or photography, because so many portraits are fairly static, you know, they're set pieces, and yet yours really do have a strong narrative content to them, which is, you know, always remarkable for something that is by definition a still image. Mm. Um, but so then, then you went off to college in art history. Yes, I, well... I started doing photography when I was 15. I, I always right. knew I wanted to be an artist, um, you know, in the way that a child, you know, wants to do whatever when they grow up. Um, and I, I wanted and, to be a race car driver, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't know to what extent I took it literally, but that was my dream to be an artist. And when I was 15, I was taking summer classes at the local junior college and all in, in art. And there was no room in a painting class. So they put me in a, a photography class instead. And I was really disappointed because I didn't think of photography as art back then. Ah. And I, I knew nothing about it. But I, I very surprisingly for me, I, I fell in love with it. And that's all I wanted to do in high school. I mean, apart from academics, I all my free time was spent in the darkroom or mm-hmm. making pictures, making portraits of people. And um, in the summers, I went to the main photographic workshops. Um, it's it's now called the main media. I mean, it's still workshops and main media workshops, but they it was founded in the 1970s and it's a community up in Rockport where you could have access to a lot of the these wonderful contemporary living artists. And Arnold Newman is a a photographer that I met there who was just one of the great masters of the 20th century. And he became a, a really important mentor to me. And he encouraged me that if I, it was fine that I wanted to grow up and be an artist, that was great. But in the meantime, I should get the best education I could and in the broadest education I could. And so I, I went to Bryn Mawr. I, I took a liberal arts degree and, and it was in art history. And then I did my graduate work at RIT in order to figure out all of the technical things that mm-hmm. photography had to offer. And, and particularly at that moment in history was the dawn of the digital revolution. So, um, and RIT had every single toy under the sun 
so I could learn about everything that was going on. I, I came in there dedicated to film and swearing that I would never give it up. <laughs> and of course, um, <laughs> I do I do work in digital today. Yeah. Oh, back in the days of, of our whopping six megapixel cameras. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in, in one of your interviews, you um, put up an image, a family portrait that you took when you were, oh, I'm going to say 14, 15, something like that. Black and white. There's about 10 people in the picture. You are really fading into the window behind you. And um, it, it is in many ways indicative of the work that you're doing now with the backlighting, with, with the sort of casual looking, but clearly well thought out construction of a scene. Tell, tell me about you know that image, if, if you remember it, but tell me also how the early portrait trial and error system went, because you are um, deceptively simple. There's actually a lot of, of technical brilliance going on in your work as well. So I believe the image you're referring to is on the dedication page of my first book, maybe interior exposure. It's um, it's, I want to say it might even be infrared. I can't remember. It's a black and white image and it was taken. Yes. When I was about 15, 16 and it's a family portrait. So I think my father is seated in the front row and then mm -hmm. there are a bunch of figures kind of gathered all around and, the light is pouring in through the windows behind us. It's a, a very old room. The wallpaper is probably from the 1920s or something. It was a cottage that we rented in the summer. My my aunts and uncles and grandparents, everybody piled into this house. And it was the last day before we left and everybody was frantically, you know, vacuuming and cleaning up and tidying <laughs> and getting the laundry out. And I... And said that the light was so beautiful in the living room. Could everybody gather for this portrait? Um, which is which is something that my family became quite used to over the years because uh, photography, I would say, family photography is almost always an interruption, mm -hmm. and it has to be created. Uh, if you wait for the moment to strike, then you have far fewer opportunities because, especially the more figures you're dealing with, the more members of a family you have, then the more frenetic, the more chaotic um, domestic life is. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so that was that was an interruption. And and I, I laid out the chairs and I got everybody to to look a certain way. I had the camera on a tripod and yes, I I, I was in the back row and, and my head in particular is almost completely <laughs> developed by the light behind us. The backlight in particular is something that has continued to fascinate me. And that was one of the reasons I stayed with film for so long because uh, film has this five-stop range that I don't want to get um, too technical, but right. basically what that means is it's able to register really hot bright spots and uh, information in the shadows too. And, and digital technology was not able to rival that until about 2013. And so, right. um, so I was a holdout for a really, really long time. I think that the backlight is something that attracts me because it, it, I mean, it's not just me. This is something that, um, Rubens, Caravaggio, um, Vermeer, there, there are a lot of artists after the Renaissance, when the halo was discarded as a way to, um, signified that the figures in a work were important, that, that mm -hmm. something sacred was happening. Often artists used light. Actually, a great example, everyone 
probably can think of Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. And Christ, who is in the center, um, is surrounded by the disciples. And Christ's head is framed entirely by a window. So he he has that backlight around him. Um, and it's a way for the viewer to understand that that he is important, that he's significant, and also that something very important is happening. Um, even if you're not familiar with the story, you sh- that that's being signaled to the viewer. You know, I, I'm just smiling here because I'm thinking, you know, as the 14-year-old taking this picture, you probably looked at that, the backlighting, and said, that's cool. And then fast right. forward, <laughs> you know, fast forward a couple of years, you're in the art history class where somebody's <laughs> explaining that to you. And, and you must have just been beaming saying, aha, I, I, now I know uh, why, why this is so cool. A lot of people would have looked at that early self-portrait and said, well, that one didn't work out, you know, because, you know, because, you know, the, the way the light is working. But that's exactly why. Uh, it, it, it's working. And a lot of your work does have a kind of sacred or holy um, feel to it, that, that this is somehow the ordinary moment made uh, profound. Tell, well, let's just, let's just jump right up to here, the, the new book, and, and let's just talk about the cover. We'll, we'll begin there. Sure. Beautiful picture um, of you and, and one of your kids. And yet, reading in the book, the story of it, it seems like a candid, intimate, you know, just just almost private moment. And yet this this is a constructed scene. So for the people that haven't seen it yet, you are um, framed by a window. You're laying on a bed with one of your kids, a, a newborn. Um, and it's just a wonderfully touching, intimate moment. But tell us the story of that picture. Sure. Yes, it's a good example of what's involved. Um, and we can talk more about backlight. So uh, I noticed that the light was really beautiful in the master bedroom um, in the early afternoon. This is made, I think, in January um, earlier this year. And my baby was a little over a month old. And I thought to myself, oh, that's really beautiful light. I'd like to make a picture. But by the time I got my tripod and my camera set up and the baby's diaper changed and you know everything that I needed to do, the light was gone. It only lasts maybe 10 or 15 minutes this right. time of year. Yep. And and we live in a neighborhood. The houses are all kind of really close together. So you know, the sun, when it gets into the windows, you, you kind of have to seize the moment. And so... Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll be ready next time. And I looked at the weather and it was going to rain the next couple of days. So um, <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to happen. But on the, the third day, it was sunny. And so I that morning, I set up my tripod and camera and I framed the picture. So um, that means I was figuring out you know, how where the edges would be, what would be included and, and what wouldn't be. And it's a, a bedroom with a newborn in it. So there mm-hmm. are garbage bags and uh, dirty clothes and, you know, random wipes and diapers <laughs> and stuff like that. So, um, and, and to some extent, I like having that around because it makes it feel real. It's, it's real life. Um, but I didn't want too much of it because then you start to pay attention too much to that debris and, and not to what I'm really trying to address. So um, I removed a bunch of that. And then I, I noticed that it was right after you know Christmas had been recent enough that the star on top of our tree, it kind of had made its way closer to the attic, but not entirely. <laughs> Someone had just put it on the windowsill above the changing station. And 
the curtain obfuscated it to a degree. So if you look on the right side, the curtain is higher on that, on that window than it is on the left side window. And so I moved that curtain down so that you could see the star. And Mm -hmm. then I also, um, I also figured that it would, it would echo the shape of the figure later on, um, which you can see in the final product. So the the mother is, I mean, that's me. Her body forms this kind of diagonal shape and it's echoed by the diagonal rise of the curtains um, behind her. And so, um, you know, that it's very, they don't fight with each other. It's, it's the background is supporting the foreground in, in that way. Um, you know, the best support, think about it in, you know, the best support staff for any show are not noticeable, right? So you're not going to look at this picture and think, oh, look at those curtains. Look at the way they're arranged. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't notice it at first glance that they're probably doing their job. So, um, so the background is, is complementary to the foreground. Is this all pre-planning? Is this all stuff that's yes, going through? Your- oh. This is all pre-planning. Yeah. So okay. at this point, I, I'm figuring out where to put the curtains. I'm figuring out where my body will be. Um, I framed out the picture, so I know that my head and shoulder will be right where they are, and where the baby's going to be. And then, right in the foreground, right in front of the baby, there. And this would be—you wouldn't notice this really if I didn't pointed out, but it blends in with the quilt, but you can see it's slightly different. There's this um, satin butter yellow fabric, and that actually is my mother's um, baby outfit. And so um, so that's in the foreground. And and I'm wearing my grandmother's nightgown. Um, I I got all of her nightgowns when they were, you know, unpacking, when they were, you know, getting rid of the contents of that house. Very cool. So there's this reference to the past there. And so then when the light came, I, I was ready. I had the nightgown on. I had made sure <laughs> that my hair was clean. Um, I had, you know, because with a newborn, you just, you never know these things. And, you know, the baby had been fed, he'd been diapered. And so I think I even have, I don't know what I have there in on top of him. I think maybe it's a, um, a baby cloth, like a spit up cloth or something. Yep, yep. And so I have him lying there. The light is just right. And the way that I take self portraits is I have an automatic timer on the camera. So I push the button and then I jump into the picture. And so I did this maybe seven or eight times. And then the baby was like, what gives, you know, you disappear, <laughs> you come back. Um, and he had enough. So it was over, but I, this one in particular, what I what I liked about this frame was the interaction of the mother and the infant's hands, mm-hmm. oh, and the way the light is catching the hands there it really draws your eye to that gesture, and then it's echoed by the little foot of the baby that is pressing into the forearm of the mother. And then the way that the ribbon happens to fall over the baby's ankle, that shape, it echoes the shape of the baby's arm. So it's, you know, that's, that's just luck. So um, some things you can plan, but other things you can't, particularly working with animals or small children. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a couple of things I want to ask you about, but something in your description just caught my ear. You speak about the painting in the third person, um, and yet it's a self-portrait. You know, is it primarily a re- you know revelation of you, or are you simply the model in a larger artistic idea that you've got? 
Sure. And, and you just referred to the photograph as a painting, um, which is, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, which is something that people do all the time. And I think that one of the reasons for that is because it looks so much like art in quotes, um, and, and not Mm -hmm. like the photographs that we are used to consuming every day on our phones. And so likewise, that when I, and looking at this work, I don't really think of it as as me per se. It's not a document necessarily of of what's actually happening in my life. It's very much a construction. It's a an mm-hmm. intellectual exercise, and I'm using myself as uh, part of the building blocks. But it's it's not completely irrelevant that it's me. But it's not. Uh, it's not front and center. It, this is really about, um, the work is about the mother-baby relationship, much like yes. if you look at a Madonna and child painting, you're not necessarily worried about who the particular model was, although that's interesting. It's right. not foremost on your mind. Does that change the way you approach content, the way you would approach, you know, maybe private issues within a family. Because, I mean, here is not your first go at doing family portraits. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of been your uh, strength all along. And yet working with family can be really risky, you know, especially when, when you're exposing private moments or, and, and, you know, your work is not about um, distraught or, or painful times. Um but if you're thinking of it more as a construct than a document, does that change how you approach uh, the relationship of your family to being um, that widely exposed? Well, certainly because the children are at the age of consent, um, you know, meaning so the infant on the cover isn't, you know, he has no right, idea what's happening, right. but my other three children are older. And so when I was laying out the book on the dining room table, I had like a zillion cut up pieces of paper and laying out <laughs> hundreds of pictures, just trying to mm-hmm. figure out what to include and how to sequence them. Um, when I had the final sequence, they had veto rights over anything. They didn't choose actually to reject a single image. I, there, there are a couple of things at work there. I think one, my, I think, I don't think my kids think very much about my career as a photographer <laughs> in the way that, you know, most children, yep. I, I, I get this question. And I often reply, well, how much do your children think about your work life and yep. Yep. how much do they agonize about, you know, your relationships at the office and, you know, what that deadline is meaning to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they don't think of that. They, they're thinking about their own lives. And so, um, I mean, they know I'm a photographer and it's, it's vaguely interesting and they're, you know, kind and supportive and they come to my openings and, um, but I, I don't think it's really foremost on their mind. And then secondly, there's the content of the work is not particularly private. There's, there's no right. nudity. There's, um, right. there are, there is vulnerability. I would say in, in particularly, like there's a, an image of my grandmother on her deathbed with mm-hmm. the three older children next to her. And so that is it's an intimate and it's a vulnerable moment. Um, and it is, it, it, it guess it's, it's personal because it really happened. Um, but even that is constructed. I, I brought studio lights into her room and, and created this. So it's, it's about, it's about life and death and, 
And actually it's juxtaposed in the book right next to this cover image with the mother and the baby. So, Mm -hmm. and, and the way that the compositions are, they're these two triangles that mirror each other. And so they work as a, a diptych in a way. A diptych is a fancy word for two pictures that yep, are meant yep, to work. Yep. And also the hand gesture, the way that one of the children is reaching out to the hand of my grandmother echoes the way that the mother and infant's hands are reaching out to each other. So they're very much speaking to each other about the beginning and end of life. So yes, these are real characters from real relationships that happened in a real family, but they're meant to, the the works are meant to address broader human concerns. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. It, it's it's remarkable work, and I, and I know that picture. It, it, is, it is a really evocative and, and touching picture. And... Going back to this notion of, for lack of a better term right now, the sacred or, or a sacred feeling to your work, that's clearly in that image, but also in just about every image uh, that you've got. And maybe it is just the backlighting, but I'm looking now at well, one of my favorites, and we talked about this you know, a couple of minutes before we started recording, um, the one called Self-Portrait with Marshall in the Snow. And, and you know, given where I live, snow is, is a favorite topic of mine. But it's a beautiful portrait. Tell me the story of, of uh, particularly the setting, sure. but also but also the posing that you've got the two of you in. Yes. So that's a good example because, yes, it doesn't use backlight. And I think you're very much correct in that this book is about or it reflects an effort to notice what's right in front of you. So mm-hmm. that's the title here. In my own experience, I I certainly struggle with the rush of life and the distractions of everyday existence. It's it's hard to to notice what's happening. Sometimes we feel nostalgia about the past, and I I think about that and I try to feel that in the present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that 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 poignant um, clutching at your heart feeling you get about a moment that's gone, I always like to remember, well, the moment I'm living right now will one day be that past moment. So I'm here, I might as well notice it and, or try to, of course, um, daily life is, is full of pressing concerns and lots of worldly tasks, you know, making dinner, um, making sure the kids Mm -hmm. get to school on time, all of that. But then sometimes in life, I, I notice I, I'm moved, and I think that's often by light. And there's there's beauty in the way that light hits the world, so it, it, particularly at certain moments. And then this was happening here. I was shoveling snow in the driveway, and the snow was just so beautiful. And the the way that the light was hitting it was was really provocative. And so 
I went inside and I got my camera and I called to the kids and said, can somebody come out with me? I really want to make a picture. And, and they all um, went screaming for the hills, right? Pretty much. Uh, but Marshall, <laughs> Marshall was really, it was, it was no effort at all. He just like, yes, sure. I'll come. No problem. And, and so I caught him at a, you know, at the right moment. And all I really knew is that I wanted to work with, with a palette of blue and gray. I, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. What, was he wearing that sweater when you called him? No, I, I don't remember what he was wearing, but I knew that I, I wanted those colors. I think, you know, because the background is, is these, these grays and whites, um, no, there's no maybe pure white. It's all really just a palette of grays. I, I had that in mind. And so I ran up to the sweater chest and I put that sweater on. That's my mother's um, sweater from college. And I thought I, li- I liked the kind of slight blue around the collar. And then I grabbed that sweater for Marshall. And I think the color is really nice. It's the same color as his eyes, which, you know, again, is working with that, that theme of blues. But mm-hmm. also the white inside the collar, I knew would kind of be a highlight that drew the eye more to his face. And I knew that the picture, I think in my mind, I wanted the picture to be primarily about him. And so he's engaging the viewer and the look that he has is complex. And it's particularly made complex by the embrace of his mother behind him and the way that their hands intertwine. Mm -hmm. So, there's this wonderful kind of S curve that's formed by the way that their hands are and then the shape of the mother's arm and then going um, back up to where their heads almost join. And so your eye is led in that direction so that you there's this harmony to the way that their bodies are together. And yet by um, just by looking at how old he is, you can see that he's on the cusp of adolescence. It's like the end of childhood, beginning of independence. And the look that he has on his face, to my mind at least, also suggests that. There's this intimacy with the mother, but there's also a sense of independence. And so that's something that I, I really enjoy doing, trying to convey more than one emotion at the same time with a picture. (laughs) with, with this image in particular, did you know that you would be looking away or the mother would be looking away? Yes. I knew that I wanted to be in profile and for him to look at the camera. And so I think what the mother there, it's the mother f- figure with that, that in profile like that, it's a very um, static position. And the way that her arms are around her son, it's, it's protective and it's, Static just keeps on coming to mind. It's it's right. strong. It's, you know the feet are firmly planted. There's something a, a bit fierce about the expression. Yes. and I and I think that you know every parent can relate to that sense of wanting to protect your child from the future, from growing up, from becoming independent, but also being proud that they grow up and that they become independent. So there's this mix of of all those sentiments going on here. Um, so this, this pair of, of family members are, are both tightly held. There's this really strong intimacy, and yet there is this fierce independence at work as well. well you know, one of the things that I'm just is, is absolutely impressed with is how smart 
these pictures are. Almost said paintings again. How how smart these <laughs> these pictures are. Um, I mean, clearly. You know, the early aesthetic training, you know, just, you know, copying pictures, your own sensibility of what's cool and what works, and then the art history degree. Is, is portraiture in photography as capable, do you think, as portraiture in painting? Well, that's a great question. Um, I recently hired this young artist named Samuel Walter to paint my three children, my three older children, and and he worked with photographs because I, I had, you know, I, I was kind of an opinionated client. I mean, I felt a little bad for him, <laughs> um, but I, so I was a little worried about that, but actually we were very pleased with the product and, um, and he was happy. He wanted to work from photographs anyway. That was the thing. He works from photographs and, and he usually takes his own photographs, but he was familiar with my work and he offered that he could work from pictures that I made. And so, so that's what we did. And, and, and so that was on my mind during that whole process. Has he made the pictures deeper or superior in some way, because now they're paintings. And I, I often, I, and as a photographer, I, I have such respect and admiration for painting and I really wish that I could paint well and find out myself the difference, but I can't, I, I can't paint like that. And and I realized that it really is the 10,000 hour concept with being mm-hmm. able to paint that well. It's, it's a huge amount of, of practice. I think that there's something about the medium of painting, which implies a passage of time that the artist has to, by definition, have spent many hours with this subject. So there's, it feels different because of that. Whereas a photograph has it has a a kind of memento mori feeling to it by definition because the instant you see it it's gone it's it's documenting something that's no longer there and so when you think about the passage of time a photograph has a very different sensation for the viewer than a painting but you know if you're a painter you can spend hours, days, weeks, really working the light and, and being intentional. And you are so consumed by the minutia of technique that you have absolute control. You're sort of approaching that with the pre-planning. You're, you're sort of, you know, you're site selecting and site scouting, saying, okay, the light at 2.15 p.m. in this window, in this, this you know, con- cloud condition is exactly what I want. There, there is not the same kind of patience, but there's certainly patience um, in the kind of planning that you're doing, a kind of intentionality um, for an effect. So you know, it, sure. it, it might be a di- it might be a difference in degree, but maybe not a difference in kind. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they it it's extremely similar, <laughs> yeah. and um, I. It's funny that the man who wrote the foreword for my book is Bo Bartlett. He's mm-hmm. a painter mm-hmm. whose work I admire, I have admired for years. I think I was in high school when I first saw a documentary about his work. It was funny. He writes in the, in the foreword that the first time he saw my work, it was in some magazine, and he was so relieved to discover it was a photograph. 
because didn't want to compete. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> oh, I, no, I, 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 I thought that that was a great way to begin the book because he was relieved that it was a photograph, um, sort of thinking, oh, God, I can never be this good. Oh, it's not a painting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, th- there is one more picture that, that I want to ask you just the story about, because, I mean, you're you're. Your, your portraits are not photojournalism. They're, they're not the quick hit. You know, here, here's the accidental moment. They are, as we've said a couple of times, really intensely pre-planned and thought out. And I was, you know, going through your, your presence online and I came across the article in The Guardian um, that has that lovely picture um, of the kids standing by the front door. And there's a lot of stuff in there in the write-up that you said, oh, you know, maybe not this, maybe not that. And yet, I know, you know, from our conversation, no, I know you meant exactly that. You know, the color of the socks or the little bit of tape that's visible, that kind of stuff. Tell me about this image. T- tell me how you approached even this idea and then the execution of it. Sure. So, yes and no. Uh, yes, of course, I I I chose to have the bright blue socks and the the masking tape. So the masking tape refers to this blue masking tape um, that shows through the glass. I have these Easter eggs kind of taped to the front door and Mm -hmm. we're inside the house. So we see the tape. um, And I just know from working on commercial sets. So if if I'm doing an advertisement, you would never have something so clumsy like that. (laughs) Um, But I, one of the things I like about the picture is that there are certain things that are are not quite right, and that preserves a certain veracity to the right. scene. Now, it doesn't mean that I thought about the masking tape or the bright blue socks and planned them and put them in there. In that case, I didn't. They just happened to be there, and I happened to make the picture. It's more in the editing process later that I continued to like this picture ah. for those aspects. So um, I like that it was just a little bit off. But with with children, I find that you have to work really quickly or it's off. The, the, the moment passes so mm-hmm. quickly. And so they had, they had come home from school. Um, my one son, he was just had his nose in his book all the time at that age. And the other one was just studying this map that was in the mail. And I asked him to step back toward the window a little bit so that the light caught the paper better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I asked my daughter to look at me. So she was there too. And so she kind of anchors the the composition by being in the center and engaging the viewer. And then of course, in bookended on either side are the children's um, several greats, grandparents who are in paintings right. on the wall. And so there's this reference to uh, the home, the family setting, and uh, but also, you know, very much in the present. Yep. Is there a consistency to your process? Do you fill lightscapes or do you say, you know, I've got this idea, let me go find light for it? Uh, Both. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So in that case that I saw the light, they happened to be there and I grabbed it. Um, And then later on, I I liked it. And remember, you only see the pictures that I like. So there (laughs) there are lots of times when I grab it and it just doesn't work and and it's a bummer. Um, But that's, you know, that's, you, you've got to shoot on goal to score. And so I feel yep. like you, yep. you got to try and, and worth the risk of failing. Um, and then sometimes like the cover image, I see the light. And so then I know I have to really plan everything just so I do more 
planning ahead since I became a mother. So this is a long time now. My oldest is almost 15. So Mm -hmm. um, I have twins. So that's why I'm speaking in the plural. So, and before that, I, I used to be much more waiting until the spirit moves me sort of thing, but it's just life is too busy for that once I had kids. So I I do a lot more planning ahead. I do want to just kind of mention one thing though, when you're asking me about this, like to what extent do I see these things? Do I know about them? And I, I always think of Aristotle who talks about how, you know, in the path to eudynamia, which is roughly translated as happiness, but it kind of Mm -hmm. means more like flourishing. I'm not sure I'm going to remember all this correctly, but it's basically saying that, um, your, your habits become who you are and it, it becomes your character. And so then you know, then you're stuck with whoever you are and that determines whether you have human flourishing or not. And so therefore be really careful with your habits and be careful with the teachers that you have for your kids, because, um, whatever your, your kids' habits are, that's what they're going to turn into. So it's, it's kind of this warning to, to parents. And, but it also is just a description of, of life. I when I think about, and especially now that I'm, I'm older and I look at, um, how I live my life. So much of my life really is just my habits. And so <laughs> you have to be really careful what they, mm-hmm. what they are. I, I think being maybe a creative mind, I, I just tend to be a little more loosey goosey. And I, I found that I'm just the sort of person who really needs to plan out the day and make a list. Otherwise I just follow my whims and then don't get anything <laughs> done. But in terms of, of art, I think that the vocabulary of, um, a visual language is something that's embedded in my head because of those habits. I've looked at mm-hmm. so many images and I was looking at images from such a young age that I have a certain kind of fluency and quickness in the same way that anybody does with speaking. You know, if you've been speaking since you were two, then you're pretty good at being able to string a sentence together when somebody speaks to you. (laughs) And so if you're looking at images all the time, from the time you're a kid, you're absorbing those compositional rules, the grammar and syntax of visual language. And so when you spot something in real life that, that works, you can recognize it all that much more quickly. You, you used a phrase just a short while ago where you said being aware of, of a kind of future nostalgia to realize that this moment, you know, in, in, in the absolute present is going to have weight later on. And that, that is a kind of genius, but that's exactly what I think you're talking about, to be aware that what, what you're seeing has that compositional and moral and psychological value. Yes, it's beautifully said. I like that. <laughs> well, on that note, um, <laughs> actually, Jessica, th- this has been fantastic. And I got to tell you, this book is moving. I have seen a lot of portraits and I've, I've admired their you know, technical ability with lighting and stuff like that. You have, in, in a, yes, painterly way, um, you have approached what is, um, and again, th- for me, the sacred with all of these pictures, because you are illuminating something that I you know, really don't have language for at the moment. It, it is special, it is deep, it is uh, intimate, um, and, and in every single instance, it is deeply loving. It is wonderful work. Thank you for being on the recording today. This has been fantastic. Uh- Thank you. You're such a you're such a kind interviewer. I I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>